We're going to be in 1 Peter as we do. We go through books of the Bible and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Beck Easton is going to come up and read for us. We'll be on page 1015. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one. The chairs around you will be on page 1015 in the ESV. We'll be reading uh, again chapter 2 verses 11 through 17. So please do as we do every week and please rise as we honor God's word. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see you, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is the word of the Lord that we just heard from. Your very words towards us. Lord, in that we rejoice. Lord, rejoice. This is, as your word says, this is the day you have given us. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we can rejoice because we... As your people, saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we can know you, and you can know us. You know us intimately. As millions upon millions of people right now are lifting up their, their prayers and their praises towards you, you are acutely aware of each one of them individually. And the reason why is because you love us. And so, Lord, may we rest in your love this morning. As we look at 1 Peter, and Peter has some commands for us to abide by today. Lord, let us be abiding in the vine, the true vine, the vine of Jesus Christ. In our words, in our deeds, with all of our lives, with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. So, there's a question that we all, we all probably struggle with throughout life, and it's just not at one point in our life, it seems to be like the entirety of our life. And it's this, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Again, that's a, that's a question that probably everyone in here has asked once, twice, ten, a hundred times when you're walking this earth. And for some, it seems like this uh, impossible task or this elusive goal or some mystery that can't be conquered, like trying to find Bigfoot or a unicorn, right? But because we have God's Word, that's not neither the case. God has made Himself and He's made His will known towards us in a number of ways. One, He's given us Scripture that says, this is God's will. So you look throughout Scripture and you see it's God's will for us to be saved. You see it's God's will for us to be filled by the Spirit. It's God's will for us to be sanctified. It's God's will for us to, to suffer. It's God's will for us to, to pray and have supplication. And today we'll see it's God's will for us to submit. And so today we get an answer of what the will of God is for our life, or at least a answer of a part of the bigger question of what God's will is for our life. And so again, it's not the whole enchilada, but Peter gives you and me a nice portion to satisfy our cravings this morning on what is God's will for our life. So let's look at this together in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And first we see God's will for us is to wage war with our flesh. Or to personalize it, God's will for you is to wage war with your flesh, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, Peter here is starting a new section in verse 11. Last week, uh, we talked about uh, uh, us as Christians in living stones and how we relate to one another as the church. And this week, Peter turns our attention not to each other in the church, but outwardly. 
He turns our attention to those who are in the world, to those who do not know Jesus. And as he does this, as he starts his new section, Peter just again wants to remind us and reorient us in our identity before he gives us the commands and the exhortations. He wants to point out again and remind us that we always begin with who we are in Jesus before what we are to do in Jesus. And this is what we see here as beloved and as sojourners. And again, I just want to emphasize this point because he's going to rip off some commands for us to fulfill. But again, the motive is always to fulfill them first and foremost in your identity as Jesus. All the other religions out there say, obey, then I will be accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted because of what Jesus has done, therefore I obey. Another way we could say this is obey, then I will then God will love me. That's what all the religious philosophies out there say. But today, Christianity, the gospel says, God loves you, therefore obey. So let that be the motive, that we see the lens of these commands through the grid of the gospel, and we obey. Our motive is to obey out of love and not out of duty. This is what Peter's doing when he starts out with that great word, beloved. Beloved. I mean, and Peter's getting a little, little pastoral on us this morning, Right? We kind of know Peter as this, this guy that's maybe a little hard, a little rough around the edges, you know, likes to just bow. But here he gets a little sensitive. He gets a little, he gets a little pastoral. He wants the, the people that he's writing to know how much he loves them. But even more so, he wants the people to know how much God loves them. You see, to be a Christian, Peter wants you to know, is to be a Christian is to be loved by God. is to be adored by God by God. And not what you do and what you don't do, but who you are in Jesus. You are loved. You are beloved. And we, and some of us in here need to hear this. We had a tough week. And maybe you even had the question is, man, does God really love me? And Peter says, yes. A resounding yes. You are loved by God. You are beloved. You are adored by God. So that's number one in our identity. We are loved by God. Number two, we see that we are called sojourners and exiles. We talked about this in the, in the beginning verses and uh, elect exiles in verses one and two. But here he adds sojourners. So this is our identity. Peter's saying that we need to see the grid through that we are, as Christians, those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus as loved sojourners and exiles in this world. That's who we are. This idea of sojourners and exiles, a great way to, to think of these two words is we are resident aliens. Resident aliens. Sojourners means this, to, to live beside or neighboring. This, this is talking about us in our humanity. It's, it's, it's what it means to be human, that we, we, are, we are residents here on earth. We, we uh, eat we drink, we go do hobbies, we go to movies together, we neighbor to one another, we suffer together, we experience life. We're residents of this earth, but yet we're also aliens or exiles, which means we're from another country. We don't belong here. So here we have this great uh, uh, contrast of who we are. We're residents, we belong here, we're here, we're humans, but at the same time, because we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, this isn't our home. This isn't where we're going to end up. We're going to end up in heaven. As Edward Clowney says, we now carry a different passport. It is not an earthly passport, but a heavenly one. So this is who we are in Christ. We're loved sojourners and exiles. We're loved resident aliens. And because of that, Peter has some now some commands for us. Now we can go into the commands. And here's the main command. Peter urges us to abstain from pursuing passions of the flesh. He urges us to um, abstain from pursuing the passions, the lust, or cravings of the flesh. Again, this is the main command, this urge, this, this exhortation, this command. And again, notice the motive. The motive is out of God who loves us. That is the motive. And so as we're loved by God, we need to be directed by God. This urging, this to abstain comes from a heart of love and not by someone who wants to deprive you of something. To abstain, this is a word that we, we might shudder at, we might not like. We don't like to for people to tell us to abstain from some things. But it's a good word. It means to hold oneself off, not to participate, to refuse, to refrain from, to shun, to avoid. A lot of, a lot of synonyms for this word. 
Because Peter understands something. He understands that we, we live in a world where we have three enemies that are looking to destroy us or come against us. Three enemies that every Christian has. We have the worldly system, the culture around us, that we're constantly being bombarded by all the different mediums out there of this worldly system, TVs, movies, entertainment, social media, etc. So that's one aspect, this worldly system. The second is the devil. We talked about it a number of weeks ago, that he's prowling around like a lion looking to devour someone. He wants to steal and kill and destroy people. But our greatest enemy, our greatest enemy is indwelling sin. It's our flesh. The biggest enemy that you and I face on a daily battle stares at us when we're looking in the mirror, right back at us. It is us. It resides in you. It resides in me. It is this idea of the indwelling sin still hanging around our flesh. Again, Because of the gospel, because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we've been saved, we've been justified. God sees us as saints and not sinners anymore. That's our identity. He is taking care of the power of sin. In other words, uh, we're no longer slaves to sin, that we have the ability now to, to choose and walk in holiness, in righteousness, to choose the things of God, where before we had an inability because of sin. But because of Christ's death, he took care of the power of sin. He took care of the penalty of sin. Sin is no longer, uh, um, the penalty is no longer there. Death has been taken away. Now you are saved, you are justified, you are seen as holy. Heaven is your destination. So he's taken away the power and the penalty of sin, but its presence, the presence of sin is still here. And that will finally be eradicated when he comes again his second time and we receive our glorification. We receive our glorified bodies. We go to heaven where there is no weeping or, or gnashing of teeth or sinning. But it was pure bliss because sin is absent. But until then, until then, we understand that we're in a battle. Peter understands we're in a battle and he tells us to abstain. He tells us to fight. He tells us to wage war against ourselves, against our flesh. And first and foremost, we see that this, this battle is an internal battle. Look at it. Uh, to abstain from pursuing passions of the flesh, which wage war against what? Your soul your soul. So first and foremost, this war, this battle of the flesh is internal. It's, it's in us. It's not outside. It's not someone else's fault that's coming against us that we have to deal with. It's within us. This is where the battle begins. And it's not a one-time skirmish, but it's an ongoing battle. It's a, a consistent battle. It's a daily battle, a yearly battle throughout the rest of your life. This is why Paul tells us this verb to abstain is in the present tense. It means to abstain once and continue to abstain. Continue to battle. This war will not end until we are either A, in heaven with Jesus, or by the time he comes back. So the question is, what are the passions of the flesh? What are these passions that war against your soul and my soul? They're common to all of us. We all share this same common battle, the same common struggle, the same common war. Well, 1 Peter 4, 3, he gives a good summary, and we're going to cover that in a couple weeks. But immediately our minds should probably go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, where Paul writes. And, and I, I think even when Paul talks about the flesh, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter talks about the flesh uh, to those he's writing to, they would immediately think of Galatians chapter 5 as well, the, the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Why? Because Paul wrote to the people that Peter's writing to. The book of Galatians was written to those who Peter was writing to here. Verse 1 says, to the elect exiles and Pontius and Galatia. So when Paul says, talks about the battle and the wages of the war of the flesh, they would immediately think of, man, Galatians chapter 5. That's the same thing that Paul is saying to us, Peter is saying to us. And so um, this is where I think Paul gives us uh, maybe a little bit more intel of what we are to abstain from. Uh, When my wife's mom uh, comes to visit us, grandma to our five kids, um, there's always a point in her stay in which she'll snipe off or hive off one or all of my kids at one time, and they get the talk, right? They get the talk. It's like grandma comes around and puts her arms around her and says, all right, you guys, I'm about to just spew my wisdom and knowledge and understanding all over you. And, and this is kind of what, this is kind of what um, Paul is doing in Galatians when he makes this list of the flesh. He's like coming alongside, 
and he's putting his arm around you, and, and we're taking a walk. And so I want you to imagine Paul with his arm around you taking this walk. And he says, this is what you are to abstain from, Aaron, sexual immorality, impurities, sensuality, and idolatry. And immediately in the conversation, my kids are like, yes, Grandma, I get it, I get it, I get it. But she doesn't listen, and neither does Paul. He just keeps going. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Yes, Paul, I got it. Yes, Grandma, I get it. No problem. I understand. I get the pick. Uh, no. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of the like. Right? And so as you took this short work with Paul, did you see anything that you need to abstain from from this list? During the talk, did you hear anything that's like, oh man, yeah, that right there, I need to abstain from that. That is something that is warring against my soul right now. You see, Peter tells us to abolish this, to abstain from these things, again, because he loves us. Because he understands if we persist in these things, they will harm us. They will harm us. At minimum, you know, there'll there'll be some minor harm to myself or or to someone close to me or, or to you. And at worst, they will destroy your whole life and possibly kill you. That's why John Owen said, be killing sin or it will what? It will kill you. So this is what Peter's saying. He's saying abstain from these things because they are not good. Now this is just good, common sense wisdom from Peter to abstain the things that are hurting us or harming us. Right? Think about it. Those who struggle with alcohol, drunkenness, which is in this letter, they never get sober unless what? They abstain from drink, right? They abstain from beer. They abstain from wine or hard liquor. For, for someone to, to battle that, you have to remove the source of the struggle. For someone who struggles with sexual immorality to overcome lust, they must what? You must abstain. You must remove certain movies, magazines, clubs, books, websites, TV shows, etc., right? So this is, a, this is a good common sense command. To abstain from these things is going to help win the battle in your soul. And so again, to overcome any of these lustful passions of the flesh, one must abstain. But here's the other thing about this. This is more than just sheer willpower. This is more than me just kind of, and Peter just dropping a scripture bomb on you and just leaving it there and, and you not knowing what to do with it. See, Peter is acutely aware. He's acutely aware of the difficulties in the war within his own heart with these things and in your heart. He understands it's not easy to abstain. It's hard. It's difficult. And that's why he's using warlike language. He's using language like you are in a battle with yourself and this indwelling sin. It's a battle that he faced and it's a battle that we face. So this, if you're battling right now, if you, if you heard that list I read off of and you're like, oh man, yeah, I need to, I need to battle that. I, I see that in me. I feel that. Take heart that that's a, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. In fact, that's a, that's a, that's a gift of God for you. That's a grace of God that he, he, he gives you that, that awareness that you're struggling, that you're battling with whatever, the, whatever it was in this list. And it might be multiple things. In fact, there's probably multiple things for all of us in here. But that's a gift of God because that's a sign that you, you probably know Jesus. Because apart from that, I look back at my own life before I came to know Christ in that list. Like, there's those things, they, they weren't warring in me. I was, I was indulging in them. I was going after them. My, my conscience wasn't pricked. My conscience wasn't pricked. It was like, man, yeah, this is what we do. This is human. This is a natural part of my life. Therefore, I go and I do these things. But when I came to Jesus and he opened my eyes... All of a sudden, he said, no, these things don't actually bring you joy. They actually harm you. So therefore, now I'm acutely aware of the battle and the struggle, and Peter is as well. So if that is you this morning, think of God. Thank God for the grace of God of of prompting you, of convicting your heart that there's a war going on inside. That's a sign that God loves you. It's a sign that God wants to grow you into holiness and wholeness. So it's a great sign. Therefore, when the world celebrates and indulges itself in these passions of the flesh, the resident alien, those who have been saved by the precious blood of Christ, we abstain. We fight. We war. 
So, again, the simple question is, what in that list did you hear that you need to abstain from today, this hour, this minute, this week? What is your soul battling with? What is your soul battling with? And hey, we understand, uh, us as pastors, we understand this. I get this. We all, we all get this. Again, this is a war that we all fight. That's why this summer we're going to go through Galatians chapter 5. We're going to walk through Galatians chapter 5, and, and it's going to uh, help us focus on how to walk through this battle together, how we can serve one another together. How can we encourage one another together? How can we can bear one another's burdens together with one another during this war? We need each other. And we're going to see how Paul addresses that. How do we abstain and overcome these fleshy desires? By meditating on God's Word, by meditating on the fruit of the Spirit. So Peter says that God's will for us is to wage war internally with our flesh, and that leads us to our second point. He says this, God's will for us is to live an honorable life among non-Christians, verse 12. Keep your conduct, behavior, life, actions among the Gentiles honorable. That word Gentiles there, it means it's another word for non-Christians in this context. So keep your life among the Gentiles honorable. So we just saw that to to live as a Christian is to be engaged in this internal war. But also to be a Christian, to be a Christian is to live under the microscope of those who don't know Jesus. To be a Christian is to be watched, is to be looked at. Therefore, Peter knows this, so he commands us to live an honorable life because you are being watched. You are being watched. And in particular, you're being watched by those who don't know Jesus. As soon as you claim, I'm Jesus, as soon as you raise that banner, all of a sudden, people have a, a, a stigmatism. Non-Christians have a stigmatism of who you are and what you're going to be and how you're going to act, right? And so now they're watching you. And this is why Peter says, live an honorable life. An honorable life. That word honorable means more than just being moral. It means more than just being respectful. It means more than just being ethical. Uh, It carries the idea of being beautiful, of being magnificent, of being excellent, of being admirable, of being attractive. So Paul is saying, keep your conduct, your life to the Gentiles and live an attractive life. In other words, as a Christian, you're not some stiff, boring joyless, condemning person. That's one spectrum. And on the other spectrum, as a Christian, you're not to live in such a way that the people around you, those non-believers, can't tell the difference if you're a believer or not a believer, right? That your life looks just like them. No, Paul says another word, another word that maybe talks about honorable, is think about this, is be, let your life be winsome. Let it be attractive. Let it be winsome. That, that people see you that, yeah, life is difficult, life is hard, but there's a living hope in you that we talked about a couple weeks ago. That because you've been born again, there's a, there's a living hope in you. That Jesus says, I've come to give life and life abundantly. And that word abundant life means that there's a quality of life to it. It's, it's joyful. It's exciting. It's free. There's freedom and there's love and there's grace and there's mercy. And yes, there is difficulty. And we're not saying, and Peter's not saying that, hey, you, you put on the mask, that everything is sunk and dory all the time, right? We talked about that a number of weeks ago. No, sometimes you take off the mask and you let people know you're hurt and you let people know you're suffering. Why? Because that's part of living an honorable life. And they'll see you as authentic. But again, the overarching trajectory of the Christian life is one of joy. It's one of love. It's one of a living hope. You have, an inter- you have an inheritance waiting for you. You're alive. I love how Ruth Graham states it. Ruth Graham says this, A saint is a person who makes it easy to believe in Jesus. That's good. As opposed to what Gandhi said. Gandhi says, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your people. Right? We don't want to be what Gandhi reviews. We want to see what Ruth Graham, a person, is a saint is a person is who makes it easy to believe in Jesus. When I think, when I think of a winsome life in Scripture, I think of a guy, I think of Barnabas. You guys remember Barnabas, right? Did you know his name wasn't originally Barnabas? Do you guys, anyone know what his name was originally named in Acts chapter 4? 
His original name was Joseph. Did I hear Joseph going once? It was Joseph. But the apostles, the people around Barnabas, saw his life. And he just went around encouraging one another, loving others, being passionately and serving one another. So the people around him said, man, look at that guy's life. And they renamed him. They renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's what our lives are supposed to be like when people see us. They, when, when they see us and they know we're a Christian, they're not going to say, oh, here comes the one that's going to be the critic. Here's going to be the guy or the gal that's going to come and condemn my life because I'm doing this, this, and this. No, it's the one the person says they see the Christian coming, they see a Barnabas coming, they see you coming, and they're like, oh, here's someone that's going to bring joy to my life. Here's someone that's going to build me up. Here's someone that's going to encourage me. I want to be around these people more. A winsome life. This is what Peter is saying. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, winsome. Jesus is beautiful. He's not condemning. Jesus came to unburden you from the yoke of slavery and let you run in freedom. So we, as Christians, need to live as people who are free. As people who are free. So live a life that is honorable, that's beautiful, magnificent, admirable, that's winsome. And why? We see there's a a response to that. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, purpose clause, for this purpose, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As we talked about last week, we're not surprised when people speak evil or persecute Christians. They persecuted Jesus. We say they persecuted his church. Therefore, they're going to persecute us. They're going to persecute you and me. Not everyone, even though you're living a winsome life, is going to be like, oh man, that's awesome, you're great. No, it's actually going to, it's going to actually tick some people off and they're going to come against you and try to storm you or harm you and speak evil against you. Think of Jesus. Again, many of them, he came, and again, his life was beautiful. Healing, saving, teaching people, leading people to the truth, joy, and yet there was a whole bunch of people that called him a what? A drunkard, a glutton, a traitor, a false teacher. Think about the early church to whom Peter is writing. There were people that, in this case, they were speaking, they were slandering against them. But here's the other thing. Did you not know that the early Christians were also categorized as cannibals? Did you know that? That's cannibals. People outside, non-believers thought the Christians in Peter's day were cannibals. Why? Because of the passages like John chapter 6 where Jesus says, if you eat my uh, body and drink my flesh, you know, you'll be saved. Now, of course, we, that is, that is symbolic, it's representative. He doesn't literally mean you go eat people, right? But people didn't know that, so they thought Christians were cannibals. I mean, can you imagine going to work and your Christian, I mean, your, and, your, and, your, and your co-worker thinks you're a cannibal? And you're like, hey, you know, hey, me and the, I got a barbecue, you know, why don't you guys come over for dinner this week, right? They're going to be like, no way, man, right? So they're known as cannibals. They were known as atheists. I mean, think about that for a second. You think of an atheist because they didn't worship the emperor of the Roman gods. And they also categorized or spoken evil against the day they practiced incest. That because, you know, we always, uh, sometimes the church talks about brothers and sisters, and that's how they um, talk to one another. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. And they thought they were literally marrying their brothers and sisters. So this is the culture in which Christians were categorized against. And there was slander. So what does Peter say? Does he say, hey, say something? No, he says the best apologetic or one of the best apologetics for you and for me when we're slandered against is to live an honorable life. Is to live a winsome life. Our life is is, is an apologetic. Our life can drown out the false accusations so that over time, even though they keep throwing these grenades and these slanderous statements to you, over time, people will see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus put it like this. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So through your life, through your actions, they will be convicted and then possibly be open to hearing the gospel. And I think not only does Peter say that that is a hope, But I think he says this is going to be a reality. There are people that might be tossing grenades and slandering things, saying things against you, speaking evil against yourself, non-believers. But they're going to be convicted and they're going to come to faith in Jesus. 
That's why it says, so they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That the gospel will get a hold of their lives because they see that we don't respond with, other, with evil back at them, but we respond with grace, mercy, and truth. Therefore, one of the most powerful tools of evangelism that you and I possess to the non-believer is our life. Is our life, is our actions, is our conduct. So please hear Peter this morning. Hear Peter's plea to you this morning. He says that your life has an incredible impact on those around you. More than you and I probably know. More than you and I probably understand. So the way you live matters. The way you live matters. The way you respond to people slandering you, both in word and deed. Again, some of you might be going through this situation right now. In fact, I know some of you guys are going through this situation right now. You have people speaking evil things against you. They're slandering your character. They're slandering the way you parent. They're slandering the way you work. They're slandering the way you live. And what does Peter say? He doesn't say, hey, stake your defense. He says this, let God be your defense. And a part of that defense is you live an honorable life. You live a winsome life. You don't repay evil with evil. In fact, verse 16 says, you're free from this that you don't, again, you don't, um, you serve, you serve those that are casting these doubts and these slanderous and these evil accusations against you. You don't sin against them. And because of that, you'll have an impact. Because of that, the Lord will save their souls. They'll give them an opportunity to hear the gospel. So that leads us to our third point. So one, we see God's will is for us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. God's will for you and me is to to live an honorable, winsome life. And number three, God's will for us is to be subject to our government. Verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to an emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and are praised to those who do good. For this is the will of God. The simple sentence in this paragraph is this. Be subject to every human institution, for this is the will of God. Be subject. Put yourself under our government. And what Peter is actually doing right here is he's given us an immediate personal example of what it looks like to live an honorable life. He's given us an, an, an example right off the bat. Live an honorable life, submit to the government. That's what he said an honorable life looks like. This is what it looks like to be a resident alien, that you subject yourself to every human institution, from the presidency to the school boards to your bosses. Now, I've seen a, see a couple of you guys like twitching when you hear, submit, submit. You know, I can see some of you guys like twitching. I twitch. I don't like that word. I think, who likes that word in here? Someone raise their hand that likes that word, submit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She must be filled with the Spirit. All right, there we go. All right. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that we all struggle with. We all battle, right? Why? Because it's in our DNA as Americans, right? We don't submit. We rebel. That's why we're a country, right? Because we rebelled from England. We didn't submit to their rule. We're like, we're going to do it on our own, right? Cyrus is clapping. I like it. Yes, clap. Glad we're not English anymore. Anyways, anyway, that's whole another ballgame. Anyways, but yeah, it's in our DNA. It's, it's a, to, the desire to rebel and not submit is as natural to us as breathing, Right? It's just, it's just, who we, it's just how, how we're wired. Well, the Bible has a different view. And, and we talk about this word submission over and over again because we walk through books of the Bible and it's all over Scripture. To submit is all over Scripture. It's a good biblical word. It's good. It's healthy. And it's good for us to obey because it brings order. And over the next couple weeks, we're not going to get away from the word submission. In fact, we're going to see it next week in verse 18, and we're going to see it again the next week in chapter 3, verse 1, where it talks about employees, and then we're going to see it in the relationship with the context of the husband and wife. We're all, we're all called to submit. So it's a good word. Now, I want to put a little, little, little asterisk there. Every good thing can be abused. And, 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 and many of you have been sinned against, have been abused by people using verses like this out of the Bible uh, in, in, in an abusive way. And God's Word condemns that. God's Word condemns that. This Word is not 
in a word that, that should lead to abuse. This is a word that leads to freedom in the midst of the gospel when applied correctly through God's word, empowered by God's spirit. Submit means to line up under. It's a, it's a military term. It, it means to bring order into whatever. And think about this. I mean, submission is good. We submit all the time. You submitted constantly today. To get here, you submitted to what? The stop signs. You submitted to the stoplights. Notice I didn't say you submitted to the, to the speed limit because probably none of you in here submitted to that, right? But you, you're going you're gonna, to, maybe if you go out to eat, you're going to submit to the, to, the, to the restaurant who place uh, prices on their food, and you're going to pay that. You're not going to argue with them. You're not going to barter, right? You're going to pay what they think. You, you submit to your monthly electric bill, your water bill, your trash bill. So submission is good. It brings order to our lives. And so we are to submit every day, and ultimately we are to submit to the Lordship of King Jesus in our life. He is the ultimate authority. He is the one that we seek to obey, first and foremost, above everyone else. But we see in this context, in other places like Romans 13, that God, Jesus, has appointed government structures to rule over our lives. Therefore, we're called to submit to them. And again, we, for us, when we hear this in, in, in the United States of America, I mean, we might not like it, but it's not very hard. It's not, it's not really hard for us to submit to our government, our government system, because it's pretty awesome. Let's be honest. It, it, it's the best government system ever in the history of mankind. And I'd rather not put myself under any other government in, in any point of history other than this one. I know you guys are with me. We live, and this is just God's grace to us, in the greatest country ever. And the system of government, with all of its flaws, with all of its warts, with all of its hiccups, I think we'd rather be living here than in North Korea, right? Yes. But Peter is writing to a people who are living in a place worse than North Korea. Again, history tells us that they're probably under the rule of Nero, who we've talked about a little bit. He's a brutal dictator. He's one of the worst emperors that the Roman um, emperor nation ever knew. He was ungodly. He was a murderer. He was a tyrant. I mean, the same can of a guy like Hitler. I mean, this guy was just wicked crazy, right? Rome, he, he set his own town, the, his own capital city, Rome, on fire. And out of 14 of the provinces, only four were kind of not burned. And while his city is burning, you know what he did? He was singing and dancing. He was watching it burn. He was singing and dancing. I mean, this guy was warped. And then when the people caught on, on, on that, hey, man, Nero started this fire, what did he do? He passed the buck to Christians. And that began the major outbreak of persecution in this fire of 64 AD. This, this is the context in which Peter is writing to submit to the government authorities. And Peter understood exactly what he was saying because he would die under the hands of Nero. History tells us and tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down by Nero. So Peter knows exactly what he's talking about when he's saying submit. He understands the weight behind this. And so he says, for you to live an honorable life, for me to live an honorable life, it really means for us to be good citizens, to be good citizens, to walk in civil obedience, even in the midst of a, a brutal empire. And again, this for us, it's like, ah, yeah, it's, this is easy for us. But think about the Christian brothers and sisters in a North Korea, in a, in a China, in the Middle East, in some places in Africa, etc. I mean, this, this is real stuff. This is real stuff. And they're like, are you sure, Peter? And Peter's like, yeah, I'm sure. We are to submit for one massive reason. And it's in verse 13 and verse 15. We are to submit because it's for the Lord's sake. Because it is the will of God. Again, so the will of God for you and me, to answer that question, what is the will of God? A part of the will of God for you and me is to obey and submit to our government. Again, because Romans 13 tells us that God has put every government into authority. And he's allowed the governments of Venezuela, North Korea, etc. to exist. We don't know exactly why, but because God is sovereign and he has a plan. But we don't have to worry about that. We have to worry about where we are right now. And, and for us to honor the Lord, to live an honorable life, 
to glorify God and to, to walk in his will, we are to submit to the laws of this land, the land that we live in. So if you want to walk in the will of God this morning, submit to every human institution that you are under. Be a good citizen. Obey the laws. Don't cheat the government. Drive the speed limit. Pay your taxes. I heard a great story this, this past week of a man who couldn't sleep. He was having trouble sleeping at night, uh, and it had to deal with his taxes. Uh, he he kind of wasn't honest on his taxes and didn't pay what he should have paid. So what he did, he says, man, I, I can't sleep. So I wrote a letter to the IRS and says, hey, guys, I'm, I'm really convicted. I can't sleep, so I'm sending you a check of $200. And then he goes on later on in the letter, and he says, um, and if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest, right? Well, that's not what exactly Peter's talking about here. He's talking about obeying the laws of the land. Now, is there the question always that comes up, well, is there a time where we shouldn't obey and submit to our government? And, the word, and, and, and it's absolutely yes, and we've seen this throughout Scripture. There's a time where we are no longer to be subject or submissive to our government, and that's when their laws directly contradict the laws of God and cause us or want us to disobey God's rule, God's law. That's when we obey. And we see this all over Scripture. I immediately thought of uh, the midwives in Exodus chapter 1, right? Exodus chapter 1, the midwives. Remember the, the call came down from Pharaoh to say, hey, kill every male child that's born it's in the Jewish camp. If it's a female, allow the, the baby to live. But if it's a male, midwives, cut them. Participate in infanticide. They did not. They rebelled. They did not submit to the authority, to the Pharaoh. They submitted to God, and that was correct. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, you guys can be praying. I'm thinking, we're thinking about going through Daniel, possibly in the fall with some other books, but now that we're going through this, there's a couple books that we're, we're talking to as a leadership staff, but Daniel might be a good one because November is such a big election year. There's a lot going on, and, and Daniel is going to give us some, some insight. But they were told to, to worship and pray to false gods. And they decided not to. And rightly so. They rebelled. They did not submit. And of course, Peter himself. Peter himself was a participant in civil disobedience. If you remember in Acts chapter 4 and 5, the authorities, the governing bodies came and said, Peter, stop talking about Jesus. Stop preaching Jesus, stop proclaiming the gospel. And what does Peter say in Acts chapter 4? He says, no, I'm not going to because we must what? Obey God rather than man. So there's a time, but Peter in this section is not talking about that time. He's just talking about the time that we're in where we might not like those in charge of us, but what they're commanding us to do is not seen against God's laws. Therefore, we are called to submit to them. And he goes on in verse 15, he says, And by living out this command, by doing good, by living an honorable life, he says it will have an effect. Again, your actions will silence the ignorance of those foolish people. So again, we see the greatest apologetic to those that are apart from Christ is a life that honors Christ, is winsome. And when we do this, this submitting, this is almost like a, an oxymoron. This is the upside-down kingdom we talk about submitting, but then Peter says, but as you submit, you're free. And you're like, how does that work out? If I submit to the government, how am I free? Well, it's that upside-down kingdom. You want to be first in the kingdom, you be last. And, and, and what he's saying is our freedom in Christ doesn't allow us to say, like, oh, we don't, we don't agree with the government and how they're spending our tax money, therefore I'm not going to pay. It doesn't give us the freedom to sin. No, he says, in other words, our freedom doesn't give us the freedom to sin. It allows us to serve. Even in the midst of trying and circumstances that are unfavorable, that we still live an honorable life and serve, and that's going to be used for our benefit, our joy, but more importantly, those around us. And then Peter just ends this letter with four rapid fire commands. And they are really practical, really practical with a number of applications. But let me just highlight a couple. Again, what Peter is saying is this is what submission looks like. What submission looks like in your life and my life is honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And, and, and what Peter does is he just gives us our week's agenda right here. What you need to accomplish this week to accomplish God's will, 
He says, this is what you need to do. You need to honor everyone. You need to love the brotherhood. You need to fear God. And you need to honor the emperor. So Peter's given us the agenda for this week. So if you're worried about what you're going to do, we just have it right here. Some practical, inspiration, uh, uh, some practical truth for us to implement. And I love this because we have, a, we have three kind of values here. We say we want to love God, we want to live in gospel community, and we want to leave a legacy. Love, live, legacy. This is where we get that from. Because this is, this is saying these categories are the three categories that every Christian, every Christian comes in contact with. We love our Lord, first and foremost. We have a relationship with God. We live in gospel community, and we want to leave a legacy. So honor everyone. Honor the emperor is legacy. To love the brotherhood is to live in gospel community, and to fear God is to love God. Now, we covered both love the brotherhood and fear God the last couple weeks exhaustively, so we're just going to focus on really honor everyone and honor the emperor. So again, as we look at these commands, if you implement these commands, your life will be transformed. I guarantee it. Your life will be transformed. I've been meditating on these all this week, and I can tell you a couple examples on how my life has been transformed by just meditating on these commands. Honor everyone. It has transformed how I drive. Honor everyone. It has transformed on how I drive, especially when I'm driving down Horsetooth right right there. Yep, there's right there where Chick-fil-A is, and they got like 7,000 lights, right? And you always pull up to the college, and inevitably there's like 10 cars that want to pull out from Chick-fil-A. Anyone know what I'm talking about, right? And you're sitting in there, and you're like, okay, I could pull up and be that guy that says, no, my life is more important than you. So therefore, I'm going to pull up so you can't pull in, right? Well, this verse informed me this week that I need to honor everyone. So what did I do? I say back, go right ahead, bro. Pull right in. Get in front of me. Not one car, but two cars. I'm really earning my salvation right now, right? And I'm like, with a smile, come on in. Yeah, love you. Good. They're like, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. Honor you. And then, of course, what happens? The light turns red, and I stop on the first car right there at the light. Red light, right? And my response was, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> it's going to change how you drive. It's going to change. It's going to transform. If you go out to lunch today after church, it's going to transform how you treat your server, right? How you treat that person taking your order. Honor everyone. Everyone? Yeah, everyone. It's going to transform that. We, we had... Uh, a lacrosse meeting for my son. And uh, again, I'm just being open and real with you guys here today. Um, and the, the, the new president, God bless her soul, she's just annoying as all get out, right? <laughs> just chatty Kathy. And I'm like, oh man, we got this meeting. And she starts out and she has a mic. And she's like, five, I mean, it's just like, oh gosh, don't give this lady a mic. But honor everyone. So what I do? We sat there. And we didn't pop off. We were just like, hmm, hmm. Mm, the mic cut out. Praise Jesus, right? <laughs> Honor everyone. So think about it in your life. Again, instant transformation when we apply God's commands. Honor everyone. So who, who this week, who this week, friend, family member, coworker, that just gets on your nerves that you're going to be called to honor? Who do you ignore during the week in your place of work where you're going to have to honor them? Maybe go and give them an encouraged word. Who do you dislike that you're going to have to honor? Honor everyone. And I think this word honor, it means respect. It means value. And you're like, man, the, the, there's a person at my work that we just don't see eye to eye on, on politics, right? I got I to gotta honor that person. Yeah. Now, notice I didn't say you have to like them, right? But you have to honor them. You have to value them. You don't have to like their thoughts or, or their convictions. You don't have to approve and condone on them. But you have to value them as a human being. Why? Because they are made in the image of God. And God loves them as he loves you. So honor them. So this, this idea of honor, yes, it, 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 leads to, it leads to action, but first and foremost, Peter's trying to get it at our hearts. First and foremost, he's dealing with our hearts. 
So this idea of honoring and valuing people, it deals with our attitude. So when I come in contact with someone that, that, that sees different issues than me, that we're on different sides of the aisle or whatever, I know that God caused me to honor them because they were creating the image of God. Therefore, how I treat them, how I speak to them, it's going to inform my actions. So this is very, very valuable for us. So honor everyone. And here it says even honor the emperor. Again, thank the Lord that we live in the United States of America. And we live, in, and whether you like President Trump or like, don't like President Trump, you still need to honor him. Just like when Obama's in there, whether you liked him or you didn't like him, you still need to honor the authority that has been placed over you and me by God. How do we do that? One, watch our language. Just watch how we communicate with individuals regarding our government. Watch what you put on social media. I mean, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I put something on and I go, oh, crap, I'm a Christian. And then it's like, I'm not even a Christian. I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I really can't even say this, right? But that's why I let Mark Hotelling do that because he does that all the time. He just doesn't care. He just lets it rip. But it's like, no, man, I, I can't do that. So watch how you communicate. Watch your language. What do you put, post on social media? And then do this. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for those in authority, President Trump, Nancy Pelosi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pray for them and watch your heart change. We're called to honor everyone, honor the emperor. Of course, love the brotherhood, as we talked about last week, is serving one another. It's doing good to the household of faith, first and foremost, praying, serving, loving, counseling. Fear God, it means this. It means obeying the commands. Have a reverential awe, a reverential fear, a reverential respect for the authority that God has put in front of you. The best way we honor God and fear God is by submitting to those that he has put underneath us. So, the will of God this morning, abstain from freshly lust, to live an honorable life, to submit to your government, to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Man, I know for me personally, this is a good one, a practical one, a convicting one, one in which I've seen the fruits of transformation already happening because of your goodness in these commands. And so, Lord, I pray that as each one of us out here, that we would hear these commands, and maybe not all of them, but let's focus on one. As you walk out these doors, convict our hearts of, of one of these truths so that we can go out and be transformed for the glory of God and the joy of our, our, our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.